morning that I've delivered, I think, just in the years, counting up the years, we observe Advent, so we do four Sundays of Advent where the, where the focus is on the Incarnation and Christmas Eve. And so just by the math, I think I, I mentioned this morning that I've delivered about 135 Christmas-related sermons in, in this church, in this, this church. And I, I've pretty much covered the biblical content, I think. Um, it's never been my practice to re-deliver old sermons. I'm just kind of afraid. I've written the same one two or three times, but I've never, um, by accident, but I've never just pulled one from the fi- file. I'm afraid they're going to taste like leftovers. So I thought tonight that I get, you're going to be thrilled about this. I thought tonight I'd give a lecture on the textual transmission of the New Testament. Merry Christmas to me. Merry Christmas to me. It's so exciting, isn't it? I've never done that, it, you know, on, on Christmas Eve. So this is fresh, fresh stuff, and it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be great. If the prospect of it doesn't do for you what it seems to do for me, uh, hang with me a few minutes. It'll get Christmassy uh, before too, too long. But I really am going to start that way. The the textual transmission has to do with how the text of Scripture comes to us, how how it's come to us through the years. It it has to do with how we know that the the Bible that we read is a a accurate representation of the original document. In other words, the actual parchment or vellum or, or papyrus or whatever it was that Dr. Luke first put put stylus and ink to or peter or paul or you know is, how do we know that this right here is based on a, a trans is a translation of something that's accurate that really accurately reflects the original writings uh, those originals no longer exist as far as anyone knows they no longer exist so how can we be sure that the text hasn't been corrupted uh, somewhere along the way and it's very commonly believed, very commonly believed, that the more time that passes, the less certain we can be and the less we're able to get back to that original text. And, and you know people who believe this. You, there's no doubt about it. You know people who believe this. And if you're not one of them yourself, that the further we get in t- removed in time, the less we can really get back to the original and be sure that what we have is what is what was in the original documents uh, often on uh, in th- this view that that view right there that time just the more time that passes the less we're able to get a hold of the original it, it's often compared to the you know a party game that somebody whispers something to somebody next to them and then they that person whispers what they thought they heard to the next one and that next one and the next one you goes all the way around the room and when you get to the end you find out that what the last person says what the message was resembles you know does not resemble in any way what it started but it's usually a lot funnier you know so that's why that that's why it's done at uh, at parties sometimes but so the the idea would be that in the same way the bible that you read is a translation of a copy 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 uh, for no who knows how how many copies and there's no way to have any confidence whatsoever that the Bible we read is the Bible as it was first written. And the real irony 
about that belief. And like I say, you might kind of buy that to yourself. You don't think that's a problem. And, you, and if you don't think that way, you certainly know people. It's a very common belief. The irony of it is that the way things really are, the more time that passes, and it's not just because of time passing, but it's other reasons, the more time that passes, the more certain we can be that the modern Greek texts of the New Testament accurately reflect the original writings. Why is that? Well, it's because of the thousands and thousands of copies of New Testament writings that are known to us today. There are museums all over the world. The, the, the ancient copies being discovered almost every single year. There's a new influx of, of copies that have been discovered and publicized and known about. That's one reason. Another reason, there's this thing called the Internet that, you know, if a scholar, years ago, not so many years ago, if a scholar wanted to study an ancient text, an ancient biblical text of the New Testament or a portion of the New Testament, and it's at a museum in London, you know, not Kentucky, London, England, or it's in Paris, not Texas, you know, it's, it, they'd have to go there. They'd have to go there and see it and get permission and study it and so forth. Now there's this thing called the Internet. There, a lot of these are online. You can look at them. You can see them for yourself. You can blow them up big. You can, you know, if you if you knew knew the languages, you could study them for yourself from wherever you are. And this telephone party game, where, you know, pass along a message in a circle. One person whispers to another and whispers to another, goes around the room. It, it is just not comparable to the situation with the New Testament. A transmission it's not at all it's not like there was one copy and then one person copied that and they, that one wore out and then they, they used that till it wore out and then they copied another one that's not the situation at all it wasn't one copy the originals were copied dozens and hundreds of times and circulated about we see it even that evidence of that in the new testament and and so a better illustration of the situation is to imagine, instead of that party game, whisper around a circle and see what you end up with is nothing like what it started. Instead of that, a better illustration of the situation is, uh, is just to imagine a uh, college classroom with 200 students in it, say, one of those big auditoriums, and there's 200 students or so in this class, and the professor writes on the whiteboard the assignment for the next time the class meets. Read pages 58 to 92. And he writes that on the board, and all the students, or most of the students, you know, they write down on their notebooks the assignment that's on the board. They, uh, then, during the course of his lecture, the, uh, the professor, he wants to write something on the board, and he erases, he erases the assignment. The original's gone. <laughs> he erased it. It's gone. Now, you, you missed class that day, so you look at your roommate's notes to see what the assignment is. Let me look at your notes. I want to get the assignment. Maybe you're not so sure about the roommate. So you th maybe you better check with a couple of more students. You know, get somebody else in the class. Call some. What did you get for the assignment? You know, what, what did you get? Now, if you wanted to, if somehow, I don't know why anybody trusts your roommate. And if you didn't trust your roommate, you, you'd get, if you looked at two or three people who wrote the thing down, you'd know what it said. 
You'd, you'd feel certain about what, the, what was written on the board, even though it's gone. So, but if you wanted to, I don't know why you would, but say you could somehow collect the notebooks of 100 students that were in that class because you want to be sure. I don't know why you'd do that, but say you did if you collected 100 of them. If you had 100 of those notebooks, you would be absolutely certain what the professor wrote on the board, even though you would find some that got some things wrong. Two people wrote down quiz on Thursday instead of quiz on Tuesday. But you would know that they got it wrong. <laughs> that, was a, that was a mistake. And the situation with the New Testament is that there are thousands upon, not a hundred, thousands upon thousands of handwritten ancient copies of the New Testament writings available to us to compare one against another. So the copying mistakes, of which there were, they just become obvious. I think it's about, I don't know what the number is now, but it's about 7,000 handwritten Greek texts, pre-printing press. About 7,000 Greek texts, about 17,000 more ancient translations into other languages where if you're, if you're really a scholar, you can kind of back engineer those things and tell what the Greek was that they're translated from. So really, you have about 24,000 textual witnesses. There, there are 24,000 24, notebooks that you can that you can consult someone can consult of the witnesses of the original text you can even reconstruct the almost the whole new testament there's a couple of verses you can't they don't show up anywhere all the whole new testament except for maybe two verses from the writings of the church fathers in their writings their books their sermons their tracts where they quoted the scripture and you can reconstruct texts of the new testament is actually, it seems counterintuitive to people, but it's true, it's actually much stronger than it could possibly have been 100 years ago. And way, way more certain, stronger than it was 500 years ago when the King James Version, when the King James Bible was uh, first published. And one of our, here's the turn, one of our, well-known Christmas text, we heard it tonight. Uh, something we read all the time this time of year, and you hear it, it shows that this is so, that this is exactly the case, that we can be more certain now in the King James Version has the angels exalting the, to the shepherds. Here's, here's King James Version. You can see on Christmas cards, I'll bet you've got Christmas cards with this on it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Does that sound familiar? That's a great King James, follows the old King James, has really pretty much the same thing. I think it's exactly the same. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. But the more modern translations read a little bit differently. New International Version is probably a, is the, the Bible that a lot of you use. says this, at that same point, has the angel saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace... Oh, I'm sorry. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The translation we use here, which was read tonight, the English Standard says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
New American Standard reads exactly the same way. It's a pretty important difference, isn't it? It's a pretty important difference. Uh, are the angels, and here's the question, just in case you didn't catch it. Well, I'm sure you did. Are the angels proclaiming peace as a gift, as the gift of God through the birth of Christ to all men? Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Or is it peace to those with whom he is well pleased, or who with whom he is pleased, or peace to those on whom his favor rests? And it's actually, it's actually a question involving textual transmission, a question of what the original text said. It's very curious. The Greek text that was the basis for the King James Version doesn't have one letter at the end of one word, the word for like pleasure or goodwill or, or favor. It doesn't have one letter. And that makes it come out the way it does in the, in the King James. Uh, the far greater textual evidence that has come up over the last 500 years, modern translators use it, it really shows that letter belongs there. <laughs> it's there. The King James it was the evidence for what the original was 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 good, but it's much it was thinner than it is today. And so that letter belongs there, and that makes these modern translations, like probably what the Bible you use if you don't use King James, come out the way that it does. It turns out what the angels actually say in Luke 2.14 is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased or peace to men on whom his favor rests. I want to be in that group. <laughs> it, it turns out it's not talking about all people. It's talking about some people. Those on whom his favor rests, those with whom God is pleased. That's where I want to be. Because we all need peace, don't we? We have not known, this is according to the Bible, but you know this to be true from your experience. Uh, well, not, not the whole of your experience because we've only lived so long, but we, the world hasn't known true and lasting harmony on earth since sin was introduced into the world by Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sinned, God pronounced curses, consequences, eternal from then on, there's going to be conflict in the man's unique role. Instead of the earth bearing its fruit willingly, he's going to get thorns. He's going to get thistles. It's going to fight him for his living. By the sweat of his brow, he's going to earn a living. And now that's the way it is. It's, just, it's the case today. It's a struggle. And you, you don't, even if you don't get your, you don't work with the earth, you don't not, you, you know, pulling weeds and things like that. Even if you don't get your hands dirty, it's a struggle. I don't care if you're a salesman who has never ever pulled a weed, you know, or or never ever uh, done anything like that. It's a it's a struggle, and you go to work, and the world fights you for the living that you make from it. There's conflict after Adam and Eve. There's conflict in the woman's unique role too, and part of her because he shall. This is part of it. He shall rule over you. He shall rule over you. Yet your desire shall be for him. Now, have we? 
is that too long ago? You know, we've, there's been so much human progress, and we're so progressive, and we've done all these thousands of years. Thankfully, now we've actually worked out the conflict between men and women, so it's no longer a problem. <laughs> no, it seems like we're as far as we ever have been. You know, it's like, what? You know, people use the word the war between the sexes. It's a real thing. <laughs> I like the person who said, no one, there, there can be no winner in the war between the sexes. There's too much fraternization with the enemy. <laughs> but it's, there's, it's conflict, though. Conflict. And then the most devastating part of the curse is that in the end, all people will die so that we're not even at peace with the limits of our own lives. We're, we're not even at peace with our own mortality. We, we fight against it all the days of our lives, and we cling to that which we, and we will let go of someday. And we certainly need peace between men generally, right? Just in these sin-sick conditions. Think of it. How long did it take? Once sin entered in, how long did it take before the first murder occurred? Not even one generation. Adam and Eve's son killed another son. And the history of mankind is the history of conflict and war. And, but you don't have to pick up a history book. Pick up a newspaper any day of the week. <laughs> And the whole is a, is a record of the daily conflicts, the, the, the murders, the, you know, the, everything, the conflict between people. And even in, and in the midst of that, this is, this is all Genesis chapter 3, and in the midst of that, even when the terms of the curse are being laid out and this loss of peace that's happened in, in all aspects of life, he makes a promise. And he say, he's speaking to the serpent, who we, who we suspected all along, but by the time we get to Revelation, we know for sure it's Satan. It's, old, it's uh, Lucifer himself. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Very cryptic, but in hindsight, very clear. Deliverance is going to come. Peace is going to be restored through someone who's born of. But his deliverance is going to involve suffering on his own part, isn't it? Isaiah chapter 9. Another terrific mining field for Christmas card verses. <laughs> we read that this too. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Multiply the nation, you've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they're glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot, listen to this, it's, it's not the way we would talk, but listen to it. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, all the 
all the accoutrements of warfare, all the weapons of warfare, all the uniforms, all the bloody uniforms, they'll be good for nothing but burning in the fire. Why? Verse 6, for a child, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What's the fourth name of the Savior there? Prince of Peace. And it says, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's the question. Will you personally see that with your eyes? Will you ever see that kind of peace come about? Uh, will you see the weapons of war becoming fuel for the fire? Will you see the lion, a, the, a lion and a lamb laying together? It's, that's that's another great Christmas card verse. I'll I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll read this one. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Will you see that? Will you experience that kind of peace? According to the Christmas angels of Luke chapter 2, you will if you are one of those with whom God is pleased. If you are one of those on whom his favor rests. How do I make sure I'm in that group? <laughs> you know this, but let's be clear. Not by being a good person. Not by our high morals, uh, by our exemplary virtue, not by our church going, not by going to church twice on December 24th, not by anything like that, because we have all been infected by the sin virus. There is none righteous, Romans 3 says, quoting the Old Testament, not even one. No one understands, really. No one seeks for God. With a whole heart, I might add. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So the Christmas presents we get have gotten, maybe going to get tomorrow, are not confirmations of our goodness. Santa brings toys to all the good little boys and girls. Jesus is not like that. Jesus came to save sinners. <laughs> The wages of sin is death. The evidence of our sin is our susceptibility to death. That's the bottom line in the scripture. You know, the obituary tells everyone how wonderful we were. But the fact that there is an obituary tells everyone that that person was a sinner. <laughs> 
So are we just sunk? We've already ruined ourselves as far as gaining God's approval. Well, we would be sunk if it were up to us. But a child has been given to us. A son has been born. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who go to church, believe. For there's no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, means payment, satisfying payment, exhausting the wrath of God, by His blood to be received by faith. Hebrews 11 says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Well, what would the corollary of that be? With faith, he can be pleased. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. That's Hebrews chapter 11. That's the hall of fame of faith. You know, it goes through all these great people of, of faith. And at the end of the chapter, it says this. I'm not going to read the whole sentence even. All these, having gained approval through their faith... What did they gain? Did they gain the world? No. Did they gain riches? Did they gain glory? They gained God's approval. So that's it. That's it. There it is. That's how we know the Lord is pleased with us. I mean, you, you and I, we, we all know our, well, hopefully, we know something of our sins, right? You think, how can the Lord be pleased with it? Can please with that? Can you be pleased with me with that going on in my life with that? In my so recent record, <laughs> he's pleased by your faith. It, it's it's those. That's how we know we're those on whom God's favor rests. It's those who believe, those who receive the gift offered. You know, the shepherds were in that group. How did they manifest their faith by going to see? The, the chief priests and scribes manifested their unbelief. How? They knew Micah 5, 2, but they couldn't be bothered to go see if what, if what the Magi reported was true, that the king of the Jews had been born. They couldn't even be bothered to go see if Micah 5, 2 was true. And, and faith in him is the key to your peace. Peace with God through faith in Christ. We sing it. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. To be at peace with God. Now once again, I'm talking about peace. I really haven't defined it and I really won't. But don't think about peace in a political context like a temporary cessation of hostilities. <laughs> a peace, the peace we're talking about is not a ceasefire. There's not a ceasefire between you and God. You are at peace with God through faith in Christ. Friends, goodwill toward one another. Fellowship. Peace with others. Family members. 
other people, other races, other nations. Ephesians 2, so use the word. He himself is our peace. And he's talking about the key to peace between races. Peace with your own life, peace with the conditions of your own life. And, and ultimately, we're talking about such a peace with the sovereign God that you can not only trust him with the conditions of your life right now, but you can trust him with your last breath in this life and say with Jesus, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And be okay with that. Be at peace with that. God is pleased by faith, and where there is faith in his Son, that's where God's favor rests. And where there's faith in Jesus, his peace grows. His peace abounds. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's the next one? Peace. Thanks for reminding me. Peace. And it's coming in greater and greater measures. Why? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase, we'll, we'll change word from government, of the increase of his rule and of peace there will be no end. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, leave this place of worship tonight knowing that you are among those with whom God is pleased. Not because you are without sin, because you're not. but because you believe in the Christ that God has sent, because you've received by faith our Emmanuel, God with us, uh, believe and walk in the peace that God has provided through the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, and which Jesus came to give. Let's pray. Lord, wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Lord, be all of that in every heart, in every life, in every soul here tonight. May each of us and all of us fully embrace in ever-increasing ways your inexpressible gift of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master, our Friend. May we walk in the love and the joy and the peace that comes as we walk in faith in and obedience to him. Increase the faith of every believing person here tonight and let the beginnings of faith stir in anyone who's yet to receive your Christmas gift to the world and to us personally, Jesus and salvation in him, for their blessing, for your glory, and that our joy would be made full. We pray in the holy precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.